It's a good-looking group. That's our uh, worship arts and media arts, some of them, some of that team. Would you give them a hand and thank them for everything that they do? I want to share with you our passage that we've been looking through uh, these weeks, through this summer, as we've looked at the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 26. You'll see them on the screen there. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. So, I am from Generation X. You're welcome. Um, we are known as the Slackers. Uh, I don't think that we called ourselves the Slackers, but that was a title that was given to us. Uh, there probably wasn't a whole lot expected from the generation that I'm a part of, which means that people like me have a chip on our shoulders. And uh, there's a lot of things that happened in the 80s as a child of the 80s where, you know, we were left, we were the latchkey kids, all that kind of different stuff. So it's very natural and easy for somebody born in generation, that generation X to be like, yeah, nobody ever thinks about us. We're that stuck between generation, between boomers and millennials, you know, two entitled generations. And then you have generation x so we feel bad for ourselves but i'm here to say that growing up in the 80s was pretty awesome and uh, one of the most amazing things about growing up in the 1980s in those formative years is even though the world was consumed with materialism and and marketing and products and all that stuff we saw some amazing products and some amazing slogans that go with those products come down the pike in the 1980s. So for example, one of my favorites, how many of you remember the little old ladies who walked into Wendy's, yep, and said, where's the beef? One of the best ad campaigns ever, and I can tell you that with confidence because I owned, yes, I, a pasty white kid, super skinny, a where's the beef, little old ladies saying, where's the beef, beach towel, beach towel. So here I am, this little white skinny kid, laying on a beach towel that says, where's the beef? I mean, where do you need the pun there? All right. Then the other one, the other one is this. So uh, how many of you remember, this is so crazy, Spuds McKenzie? Okay, Spuds McKenzie was this little Boston Terrier, I think it was a Boston Terrier, little dog. And he was a mascot for Bud Light. So I don't know whose idea it was for this to take place. I wore it proudly. But I had a Buzz, Spuds McKenzie t-shirt as a fifth grader. So I'm wearing a Bud Light t-shirt as a fifth grader. And my grandma got me, I think she got it free because she bought so much Bud Light, a Spuds McKenzie watch for Christmas. And so I proudly, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, wore that Spuds McKenzie watch to school and everything. So I was a walking child advertisement for Bud Light. So amazing things that you'd never get away with, like right now, okay? Now, some of the products that came down the pike, those were all right. You know, they were, they were pretty good. Some were total flops. So in 1985, there was a 100% total flop by a world-renowned company who just totally drifted off of mission. They, like, checked their brains at the door for a day and thought, this is a really good idea. And it turned out to be a horrible, horrible idea. Okay, so how many of you remember New Coke? New Coke. So 1985, here's what happened. 
the backstory is the market at that point was flooded with all kinds of new products. In fact, uh, in taste tests, Coke was losing out to Pepsi. So people were actually preferring this other, this other cola. And so they're panicking, their market shares are going down, uh, all kinds of different things. And so what they did was they started tampering with the one thing that worked for them for like 99 years. 99 years, they started messing with that. This, this thing had built their empire. They had loyalists who would drink Coke just because it wasn't Pepsi, okay? Maybe you're one of those people or vice versa, but that was what they had in their hands. But then they started messing with it and they decided, you know what? It's time to retire the thing that's worked for us and try something new. So they introduced new Coke and literally the backlash was almost instant almost instant, uh, and they paid the price for, for not being faithful to their original promise, their original intent to consumers. They built a legacy brand, a legacy brand, and, and again, a lot of people chose them just because they were Coke, not because even the taste, so they scrambled, and what was really interesting back then is they scrambled and what they were like, oh no, we messed up, so they reissued Coca-Cola as Coca-Cola Classic, so now you had new Coke, and you had Coca-Cola Classic, but the damage was done. And you would think at that point, they'd be like, okay, we, we blew it, sorry, here's, here, we're going back, here's, here's your thing. No, they like doubled down. And not only that, they introduced Coke too. So they complicated things even more. And I found out, just looking back at this a couple weeks ago, I did not realize this, but all of that still existed until 2002. It was not until 2002 Coca-Cola was like, yeah, we kind of blew it. And so they pulled that stuff off the shelves and stopped making it. Now here's the deal, here's the deal. All of that was done in the interest of serving not the customer, but market shares. All of that was done with the intent to boost numbers, to somehow produce something else, but by producing that something else, they weren't really fulfilling the intent of their mission. They weren't being faithful to their mission. So it's one thing, to lack faithfulness when you're marketing brown sugar water, okay? Uh, but it's another thing when we lack faithfulness in other areas that don't have monetary consequences, like our relationships, all right? So there's a reason that Paul, the Apostle Paul, included faithfulness in this list of spiritual fruit, uh, because it's something that the Holy Spirit produces in us. It's God's vision for our relationships with each other, and faithfulness is God's vision in our relationship with him. And so to have faith, this idea of faith, is the idea that you're going to trust somebody, right? That's what faith is. It's trusting, taking somebody at their word, having confidence in a person. Uh, there have been times when I've been a reference. I've been put down as a reference on somebody's resume or something uh, for other pastors who are looking to move or different things like that. And one of the great things as a reference is if somebody does call you, the ability to say something like this, Oh, I have no problem with that person. I would put my full faith in that person to do what's being asked to be done. It's a great position to be in to be able to, to edify somebody like that and commend somebody by saying, yes, that person has my full faith. That carries weight, doesn't it? That means I actually believe that person will do what they say they'll do. I believe they are who they say they are, that their intent matches the story they write about themselves. Okay, that, that they're the real deal. They are who they say they are. They are faithful. So when it comes to our relationship with God, we place our faith in God. 
And we do it for a very specific reason. He has proven himself faithful. God is faithful. We can be confident in who God says he is. Because he never lies. He's always truth. When he says that he will provide for us, he will provide. When he says he'll forgive, he forgives. We just sang a couple songs about that. Do we believe what we sing? Okay. He will forgive when he says he'll forgive. He, when he says he's going to be there, he will always be there. So in essence, this is kind of what faithfulness is. And you'll see it on the screen. It's consistency to original intent. Faithfulness is being consistent to original intent. Um, it's one of my favorite verses, James 1.17. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And here it is, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What that's saying about God is, it doesn't matter what's going on, it doesn't matter what takes place, it doesn't matter what drama is taking place, there is no shifting in God. He is true. He is He's true. He stays the same. He's consistent. He's faithful to original intent. Keeps his word. He's consistent, unwavering. The English dictionary says faithfulness is loyalty, dependability, firm and unchanging attachment to a person or an idea. Now, here's the deal when it comes to faithfulness. In all those definitions of faithfulness, we probably wouldn't really understand what faithfulness is if we didn't really understand and agree that faithfulness is always something that's challenged. Faithfulness is going to be challenged. Um, I don't think I need to spend time describing what happens when people don't remain faithful in relationships with one another. Uh, you make a commitment, somebody else comes along. People at work, maybe. They start speaking behind the back of another colleague. What does is, what is faithfulness look like for you now in those moments? What does it mean? Our world is filled our families, even our churches, are full of the results of the lack of interpersonal faithfulness to one another. Avoiding original intent. And if it doesn't satisfy us the way we want, we take our loyalty, if you can call it that, elsewhere. And we find someplace else to go. We find different people to be with. We find a different audience. Okay. There's a theologian. His name is Lewis Smeeds. He said this. This is really smart. Somewhere, he said, people still make and keep promises. Somewhere. It's got to exist somewhere. Somewhere, people still make and keep promises. They choose not to quit when the going gets rough because they promised once to see it through. They stick to lost causes. They hold on to a love grown cold. They stay with people who become pains in the neck. They still dare to make promises and care enough to keep the promises that they make. Now, Again, a caveat, and I made this caveat last week. We're not talking about giving permission to abuse. You get that, right? Okay, so that, that's the line in the sand. That doesn't mean people who are abusing other people don't need permission. They need lines and boundaries and distance, okay? Uh, that's not what we're talking about here, and I don't want to minimize anything that anybody has gone through or might currently be going through, okay? But somewhere, somewhere you've got to be able to find a person or a group of people who are willing to be who they say they are, to do what they say they're going to do, who are willing to commit to one another and to a mission, and it's non-negotiable. That place ought to be the church, shouldn't it? That ought to be the church where people share this unwavering commitment to mission 
and to one another even when it is hard, even when it is convenient, even when it is costly and relationally challenging. How many of you have ever been a part of a church that's relationally challenging? If you're not raising your hand, you're breaking one of the Ten Commandments, okay? Because those churches don't exist, all right? Every church is relationally challenging because it's full of people like me, all right? So it's just going to happen, but where is our commitment in the midst of that? The landscape of Christianity in North America is littered with breaches of that loyalty, breaches of that faithfulness exponentially exponentially we live in an interesting time for 40 or 50 years if you don't like statistics i apologize we're going to dive in here for a second the last 40 to 50 years church engagement has been declining i think we all know that okay it's it's kind of an across the board experience Uh, but around about 2000 2001 everything changed and the decline sped up rapidly So much so that in the last two years, because of COVID, because of racial conflict, because of political conflict, the numbers have increased even more. It's almost been like a booster shot to disengagement with the life of a church, with the life of the body of Jesus Christ. So people are less faithful to the church in North America or were never faithful at all. So 85% of the silent generation. The silent generation are people that are born between 1928 and 1945. About 85% of that generation calls themselves Christians. It's not bad. It's not bad. Um, However, millennials born between 90 and 96, uh, 56%. So you jump pretty quickly between 85% to 56%, uh, 40%. Of 13 to 25 year olds, I mean, they, they just don't even affiliate anything in their lives to anything that's representing a, a body of believers of any kind. They just back off. So these stats that I'm going to show you on the screen from Gallup, and you're not going to see all the numbers, they show the reality of the last 20 years. The last 20 years. So I want you to look at this. So you can see that's 1938 all the way on my left, your left as well. It kind of drifts and everything, and you kind of see this up and down cycle. But then you get to about 1998 to 2003 over here. You go from 70 to 64 to 61 to 59 to 55 to 50 in 2018. So it's not hard to see that you've got decades, 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 and then around 2000 hits, and things start sliding quickly, really, really quickly. Okay, so here we are. We're all sitting in here. We're church people. You may not think you're a church person, but the fact that you're sitting in here, you're a church person. All right, so as church people who have, like, made a commitment to be here this morning, I mean, this is faithfulness, right? We showed up on a Sunday morning. That's frustrating. So look at those things that's really frustrating. So the question, the easy question to ask is, why are people becoming less faithful to the church? And when I, I'm going to say that question again, and I want you to listen very closely to it. Why are people becoming less faithful to the church. Well, what does faithfulness mean? Faithfulness is relationships and mission. Relationships and mission is the pastor in the 21st century who has been serving the church in that 20-year decline. That's the bulk of my ministry. I started in 98. I've been serving in the bulk of that decline, so I own this. 
This is my baby. I've got responsibility. I've got skin in the game when it comes to this. As a pastor, I don't have the luxury of approaching that question. Why are people becoming less faithful to the church? I can't ask that question that direction. Here's why. When you ask that question that way, it assumes that there's something wrong from the outside in. From the outside in that is causing people to become less faithful to this. Okay. Is it possible? Is it possible that what we might perceive as a lack of faithfulness on the part of others might be due in part to a lack of an ability to put full faith in the church? I want you to hang with me here. To play to consumers, Coca-Cola had built a brand and they drifted from their mission. They drifted from their mission. Instead, they made decisions in order to bolster their bottom line to keep the institution moving forward. In other words, numbers. Numbers. Is it possible that in an attempt to sustain an institution, and I'm not just talking about this church, I'm talking about the church I just came from, I'm talking about any church in North America, is it possible that in an attempt to sustain an institution, to keep that institution floating, the church in North America may have drifted a little bit off of its mission? Is it possible? I'm raising some Gen Z people in my house. And I know some of you are too. I've had the privilege of working with a staff of millennials and calling millennials into pastoral ministry. Uh, here's one thing that I've, I can tell you. The next generation that is coming down the pike to lead the church is not interested in sustaining an institution. It's not in their heart to do it. It's not in their heart to do it. Um, for them, faithfulness does not mean butts in the seats on a Sunday morning. It's not what it looks like. Faithfulness means integrity and commitment to one another and mission. That's what it means. That's what it means. And the church in North America right now is at a really interesting place. And I think actually it's a really big grand invitation to come off of mission drift, to get back to the things that we need to focus on, to not be so reliant on things like relevancy, uh, production value, uh, and more just to get smart people like you engaged, but maybe, maybe lead with things like authentic relationships, lead with things like mission. And I, that's going to look less like buildings and, and more like body life. It's going to look less like a laser light show, and it's going to look more like light in the darkness is what it's going to look like. Now, maybe the church in, more, in America is struggling today because it's lacked faithfulness in relationships and mission. Now, before you get all worked up and you're like, man, Rich, back off, dude. What in the world? We're here. Come on, man. It's like preaching to the choir. Um, before you get all worked up, those statements are a generalization. And I know full well that our church is engaged in real life. I know we're engaged in relationships with others. We're engaged in mission. But I just also know how easy it is not to be. And to trade those things out, particularly when you feel like you're losing ground, for other options. Well, if we just did this, or if we just had that person, or if this and this and this was in place, then we'd have something back, or then we'd have this experience and all that kind of different stuff. But I'm here to tell you right now, Jesus Christ died for people and mission. People and mission. That's what Jesus died for. It's what he lives for today. It's why he inhabits human hearts and transforms us from the inside out. 
It's because of us and what we do in the world around us as his representatives. Have we drifted from mission? What ends up suffering when we do are the very things that Jesus communicated were most important to him. And in a way, this is what prompted Paul to write to the church in Galatia. This is why he wrote to them. The church had ventured from its mission. In fact, broken relationships within the body of Christ had essentially just erased their impact in the world. There was no mission because they just they didn't even like each other. So there was just all kinds of broken stuff. When Paul planted that church after he left, they drifted away. They drifted from mission, and now the focus was more political. It was on position and who had power in the church and who got certain favors and who didn't and, and all that kind of different stuff. And you really kind of, and this is, this is hard because you get a sense of how much this impacted Paul. I mean, I think if, you, if you're a parent in the room particularly, you know what it's like when you've poured your life into a, a child maybe and they make some wompy decision over here in left field and you're like, where did I go wrong? What happened? And your heart hurts because of that. And Paul writes this in, in Philippians 4, 19 through, or Galatians 4, 19 through 20. My little children for whom I again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. In other words, you have this gift in your hand that you're just like trashing it because it's dumb stuff. And it's just breaking Paul's heart. It hurt because he understood that our loyalty, their loyalty, his loyalty isn't to an institution. It's not to a building. It's not to a, a program. It's not to a style. It's not to any of those. It's not to a set of goods and services that somehow we consume. But our loyalty is to a people, to brothers and sisters that we partner in mission with in the world that we live in. And that's where faithfulness, or more specifically the lack of faithfulness, hurts. It becomes painful. Somewhere there needs to be a place where people keep their commitment to their original intent. And so the question is, is this us? That's what this series has been about. Can we point to these fruit of the Spirit and say, you know what real life is all about? This. This is us. Are we this model of faithfulness? As we've gone through this, we've agreed that we don't do this, right? The Holy Spirit produces this. It is not in us to be faithful like that. We've got to really surrender some things in our lives so that the Holy Spirit can work and manifest that kind of a love, this sacrificial, give away everything kind of love, this peace that transcends all understanding, all these different things. We've got to surrender some stuff in order for that to take place. We've got to surrender that stuff. And it usually means that there's something specific that stands in the way. So if, if I'm having a, a, a hard time being the kind of a person that somebody can put their full faith in, or if, if we are having a hard time of being a church that others out in the world can put their full faith in and trust us to be who we say we are and do what we say we do and believe what we say we believe, if we're going to be that kind of a person, it's not in us to do it. It's got to be a yielding to the Holy Spirit. There's got to be a surrender. There's got to be a surrender. And so the thing I keep coming back to when it comes to this issue of faithfulness is a willingness to surrender our options, our options. So I'm going to tell you one of my loves. I love a good buffet, if you couldn't tell. 
I love Good Buffet. This last week, uh, we've been running around getting license plates and driver's licenses and all kinds of different stuff. And we got people working different times and all that stuff. So we just ran out of time. It was like, all right, we just got to go eat dinner. So we, we ended up at a buffet. And uh, I was not complaining. So we walk into the buffet. And what's really interesting about a buffet is, I mean, you pay a certain amount of money and you're given a bunch of choices. It's amazing. Nothing screams America. More than just, I walk in and I get to choose anything I want. And so here's this big buffet of choices. Now, some of you know that I'm attempting still to try to figure out how to run a marathon. And so trying to eat a little bit better is on my, it's on my agenda. It just didn't happen to me on my plate that night. Okay, so what's really interesting is about, about a buffet is you pay that money, and that's good money. You've worked hard to earn that money. You walk into that buffet and you see all this not good for you goodness around you in, in every single buffet. Some buffets lead with it, but not many. Most, it's the last area is a salad bar. Okay, now for me, for me, it has that section and I'm trying to eat healthier and there's a salad bar. And I'm trying to eat healthier, but it's a buffet and there's a salad bar. And so what happens is you start in your mind, you start justifying things, right? Okay, so if I really wanted a salad, why would I have come here? I mean, I could go someplace and get like a salad somebody actually makes for me. Why would I want to make my own salad? I mean, salads are just misery and sorrow on a plate. That's just all a salad is. So I mean, it's just, why would I do that? I paid good money. And you know what? I'm trying to be a really good steward of my money. I, you know, God has given me uh, you know, financial resource, and if I'm going to be a good steward, I better get my money's worth when I'm at the buffet. And so you just begin justifying all of this stuff to get to that place where, honestly, I love the options. I want the options. I want to indulge in the options. I don't feel like, you know, salad today. I can have General Tso's chicken. I can have the crab. I can have seven crab rangoons if I want. I could have 20 piles of fried rice. I could, I could do whatever I want. I don't have to have salad today because that's my right and this is what I want and this is the goods and services that I like and I like my options. That's what I want today. Now, here's the problem other than the obvious with that one, okay? Most people treat life like that. All different areas of life. We treat like a buffet. We want options, particularly if there's something else that might give us a quicker level of satisfaction or a quicker level of status or a quicker level of attention. We want to take the short route to get to those things. Given the choice, many times we will suspend our commitment to indulge in something that promises more happiness, more pleasure, more of any of that stuff. Okay? But when it comes to relationships and mission, it's super dangerous super dangerous. It's life-altering. Luke 19.10 said that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's a very specific mission. Came to seek and save the lost, to be the relational and sacrificial bridge for us. He entertained no other option in that commitment. But in the, in the life of Jesus, when it comes to faithfulness, there's this incredible scene. I just want to talk about it briefly. This incredible, it's a cosmic scene that takes out Matthew chapter 4. And it reveals not just what true faithfulness looks like, but also how to deal then 
when you're faced with the temptation to drift off of mission, to drift away from that relational faithfulness that we have towards one another and towards the mission. And it's in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. You'll see it on the screen. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and offered a buffet. It's exactly what happened. If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, he'll command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So a third time, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you'll just fall down and worship me. If you'll just take the shortcut. If you'll just drift a little bit. And Jesus said, Be gone, Satan, for it's written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came, and they were ministering to him. Just quickly, here's what I think that reveals to us. When given self-gratifying, self-promoting, and intensely satisfying options, Jesus stayed true to his original intent. He didn't waver. He didn't entertain options. He didn't entertain options. Even knowing the price he would pay for not entertaining any options. It had already been settled in his heart. He was there to fulfill mission. When presented with those, if we have not already resolved in our hearts to keep our commitments, we're going to find ourselves entertaining other options. You've got to settle in your heart on the front end. This afternoon, I have the privilege of standing before a group of people right here in this room, uh, presenting a couple to God for marriage, which is exciting for me. This is the first opportunity I have as a resident of Indiana. I got my license this week. Uh, as a resident of Indiana to perform a wedding ceremony, so I'm excited about that. I'm going to be saying the same thing to them that I've said who knows how many times uh, that I've stood in front of a group of people, but my, my statement will be the same. Love is a choice. Love is a choice. And you have to decide now that other options are off the table. Make that commitment now as you're standing before God and others that other options are not in the cards. They're off the table. Decide. There will come tests to that. Moments where feelings are missing. Moments where attraction isn't there or there's stress. In those moments, Having already confirmed in your heart that you're going to keep other options off the table sees you through those times. That's hard. Now, that's one example, just a wedding ceremony. But this plays out in every single relationship. The ability to live a life just of unapologetic commitment to relationships and a mission. You need strength beyond yourself to be able to do that. That's why marriage isn't just between two people. Marriage takes three there's got to be the God element to help that faithfulness grow and nurture in times of stress and pain and trouble and temptation. From the very beginning, mankind has shown a proclivity not to be faithful. We like options. 
did God really say, don't eat from any tree in the garden? No, I like my options. Okay, you should have options. So what do we do? We take the ones not good for us. Paul is telling us that we can be as faithful to one another as Jesus has been to us, but it only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, a willingness to surrender to it, practically speaking. What does that look like for us? I mean, here we are, we're real life church, we're trying to be this, right? We're trying to be able to point to these things and say, this is us. And the good news for us is there are mechanisms in play. There are things that have been in play for years in this church to nurture that commitment. The question is, will we live it out? Will we live out that faithfulness? Uh, I believe in covenants. I believe in covenants. If you're a staff person in this church, if you're a volunteer, if you're a leader, I think covenants speak to commitment beyond one's self. It speaks to a commitment to mission and a commitment to one another. So I believe in covenants. Before I came as your pastor, there is this great covenant that is in place. It's the partnership covenant. It's a partner covenant that was established. And what I want to do just really briefly, and you'll see it in your notes and you'll see them on the screen as well. I just want to walk through these really quick. So if you've been here for any amount of time, you've heard us talk about on-ramp courses. On-ramp courses. And uh, those are designed to share with you more about the church, how to engage in the life of the church. And you're going to hear more about that opportunity to engage in those on-ramp courses here coming up soon. But what it does is it also talks about what it means to join the church as a member or a partner. What does it look like to be a member or a partner in the church? To enter a covenant with the other people in our church with a focus on relationships and mission. And I'm excited. I'm excited to know that this church is built on covenantal practices. You should be excited about that as well. We should have high commitment to mission and high commitment to one another. Because I think God values that almost above anything else. So we are excited that this is a church built on covenantal relationships and practices. And one, things I, one of the things that we, as we, as we put these on the screen that I want you to recognize in this covenant is that these are proactive. You're saying, I will do these things, which assumes that you'll need to. <laughs> uh, you know, I, the, the, the wrong time to decide that you're going to be a forgiving person is when you have to be. Okay? You need to decide before then. You know, I'm going to have to live my life as somebody who's willing to forgive people because guess what? You are. Um, but, but they're proactive. It's also based on Scripture, which all good covenants are. All right? And, and these are attitudes and actions. Uh, and, and essentially what these say is, you know, we know we have the option not to do these things, but I'm going to covenant and commit up front not to take those other options. This is who I'm going to be. So I just want to walk through these briefly before we close. Is that Okay. Just really quickly. Here's what it says. It says, having received Christ as my Lord and Savior, I now feel led by the Holy Spirit to unite with the real life community church family. In doing so, I commit myself to God and to the other members to do the following. Number one, I will protect the unity of my church. What's that look like? Well, it looks like acting in love toward other members, refusing to gossip, following the leaders. The scripture's there. So let us concentrate on the things which make for harmony on the growth of one another's character, Romans 14. Live in complete harmony with each other, each with the attitude of Christ towards the other, Romans 15. Have a sincere love for other believers. Love one another earnestly with all your heart, 1 Peter. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, Ephesians chapter 4, great verse. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. All right, pause. 
That doesn't say blind loyalty. And a lot of people stop there thinking, oh, you know, it's awful pompous for a pastor to say, you should follow your leaders and I'm it. But then it goes on to say, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Every person who enters into ministry of any kind should shudder at that statement. One day, I have to stand before God and give an account for how I've handled his bride, his church, you. How have I treated you? Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be no benefit to you. All right, so the second one. First was I'll protect the unity of my church. The second one is I'll share the responsibility of my church. I'll pray for its growth. I'll pray for its health. I'll invite unchurched friends to attend and, and warmly welcome others. Find my place in the mission. In the mission. First Thessalonians says to the church, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. Luke 14, go out into the country, urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. Romans 15, so warmly welcome each other into the church just as Christ has warmly welcomed you, then God will be glorified. Number three, I'll serve the ministry of my church by discovering my gifts and my talents, and some of that happens in those on-ramp courses, by being equipped to serve by the leaders of my church. That speaks to people's responsibility like me. I should be equipping others. The leaders of this church should be equipping other people to serve in ministry as well. By developing a servant's heart, we go low, we serve others. Serve one another with the particular gifts God has given each of you, 1 Peter 4. So Christ himself gave pastors and teachers to build up his people for works of service that the body of Christ might be built up, Ephesians 4. Look, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, taking the form of a bondservant, a slave, a servant, Philippians 2. Number four, I'll embrace and support the mission of my church. Attending services and groups faithfully. But growing in Christ-likeness as a disciple. In Christ-likeness as a disciple. Uh, finding my place to serve. And then giving regularly. I'll talk about that here in just a second. Acts chapter 2, two they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Hebrews 10, let us not neglect our meeting together, but encourage one another in Philippians 1. Whatever happens, make sure that your everyday life is worthy of the gospel of Christ. I don't know about you, but that all sounds really good to me. <laughs> that sounds like the description of some people who are highly committed to each other and highly committed to what that group of people should be about. It looks like faithfulness. Will we be perfect at it? Will we hit the bullseye every single day? Probably not. But when we don't, we have to ask ourselves the honest honest question all right what do i need to surrender so that the next time i do what do we need to surrender so that the next time the dart is thrown the relationships are great and we fulfill mission what do we need to surrender now that last one by giving regularly okay so I want to share with you where we're going after this series is over. It starts in August, and you'll see a slide on the screen. We're going to spend four weeks in a stewardship series. Stewardship means what does it mean to be a manager of the things that God has placed into your life? And uh, we're going to do this series called More. So much of life is about getting it. If I just had more countless times, getting more, finding more, spending more, using more, 
but it's never enough. What if less is more? What if less is more? Okay, so the first thing that people think about, you're going to talk four weeks about money. I don't preach about money. And here's what you need to understand. Uh, this is my opportunity as your brand new pastor to lay a foundation and an understanding of what biblical stewardship looks like, biblical financial stewardship looks like, and what my approach. Because if, if I don't model what is about to come out of my mouth, it means nothing. So it gives me the opportunity to stand before you and cast a, a vision and a picture of what it looks like to be faithful, biblical stewards. And I don't preach sermons about money. Does that mean I won't mention it? No. I preach sermons about our heart. I preach sermons about the Word of God. And for me, money issues are never a money issue. It's a heart issue. And not a if I had more issue. We'll talk about that. But I wanted to make sure that you're prepared. Um, we're going to be dealing with our hearts those four weeks in different aspects of that so that we can have more perspective, more priority, more peace, and more purpose in our lives. That's a lot of peas, and I don't like peas. I like a whole lot of stuff, but I don't like peas. I avoid them on the buffet, okay? But these are worth chasing after, right? These are worth chasing after. Thanks for hanging with me. I hope that this series has been a benefit to you, and uh, we've got a couple more to go, but uh, my prayer has been that as we've gone through this as the body of Christ, that we're coming closer and closer and closer to being able to be confident in pointing at these and saying, yeah, this, this is us. This is, this is who we are as real life. So thanks for going on this journey with me. I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we find ourselves uh, looking at a passage of Scripture that we've been looking at now for weeks and weeks and weeks, and it's hard to believe that uh, we can talk about the same thing over and over and over again, but today we talk about the same thing again, and that's surrender. What are the things in our lives that we need to surrender? And would you help us to pray what the psalmist David prayed? Search our hearts. Search my heart, Father, and show me. Is there any way in me that run, runs contrary to, to what you would desire? Is there any sin in my life? But at the same time, too, Father, is there anything I'm holding on to that would hinder the ability of the Spirit to see this fruit come out of my life? Because I know when it comes out of my life, Father, that's when I'm, I'm living out exactly what you created me to be and do. That's the desire of my heart. And Father, I just thank you for this group of people. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the passion to continue to pursue the mission that you have us on, to love you, to love people, and to serve the world that we find ourselves in today. What a privilege it is to be among God's people and to be able to be called into that kind of service. We love you. It's in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Make sure you stop at the Shine FM table on your way out, too. Thanks.